Well, today we're in Luke's Gospel, so I'll invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24 this morning. We have been making our way through sections of Luke over this Easter period, and this morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. And if you're reading from one of our Red Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1061. So Luke's Gospel and chapter 24, Nigel's going to be preaching on this in just a few moments. So Luke 24 in the first 12 verses. It's great to hear the pages flicking as we find this. Okay. Luke 24, this is God's Word to us. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but, they say, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this morning. Nigel. Well, uh, Luke 24 is, is where we are. We've been following Luke's story uh, of the Easter story uh, through over this Easter period. One of the things that, that I remember happened to me at, when I was studying theology, I started in Aberdeen, and uh, one of the things that happened was a rather skeptical lecturer said to me one time, said to the class, what would happen to your faith if the bones of Jesus Christ were discovered in Jerusalem? Suppose, he said, a, a grave was uncovered, and it could be proven irrefutably, beyond doubt, that it was the tomb of Jesus Christ and his body was still there, what would it do to your faith? Now, now you need to understand that the class that I was in was a whole, a very varied class. It had a whole range of people in it. Some were like me, studying for the ministry. Others were taking a few theology classes alongside other things that they were doing. And some people wouldn't have said that they were Christians, and, and some people would, and so on. So there was a whole range of responses. Some people said, well, you know, I'm not really sure that Jesus ever existed. And therefore, I don't expect that, that such a thing would ever happen. 
Other people said, well, I, I guess there was someone who was called Jesus, but myths, and he was probably a very good man, but uh, myths and stories grew up about him over the years. And, and so, I, I fully expect that maybe someday <clears throat> the bones of Jesus might turn up in Jerusalem. But then some of those who said that they were Christians said, well, it wouldn't actually matter to me that much because I just know that Jesus is with me day by day. I wonder what you would say. How should we answer that question? It's really asking, is the, is the empty tomb crucial to Christianity? Is the, the bodily resurrection uh, crucial to Christianity? And the answer, of course, is that it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And what we're celebrating today, therefore, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, is absolutely fundamental to Christianity. There is no Christianity without it. So, so to answer my lecturer's question is that if, if we could somehow be shown beyond doubt that the bones of Jesus are still in a tomb in Jerusalem, our faith is, is not just weakened, it is destroyed. We should all pack up and go home and sell this church because there is no truth in what we're doing. And we ought not to be surprised that this is the case because as we've been looking at the book of Acts, the resurrection figures prominently in the apostles' preaching. It's a key element of their presentation of the gospel because, after all, it, 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 it changes the gospel message from being an opinion of some people into an action of God. This is not just something that we've thought up or concluded, but something that God has done and proven by raising Jesus from the dead. So you might, not, you might remember not all that long ago, we were looking at Acts 17, Paul visited Athens, and the philosophers there initially misunderstood him, thinking that he was talking about two gods. They thought he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection, Jesus and Anastasia, as if he was talking about these two foreign deities. The resurrection figured so highly in what he was putting across that they thought there was another god alongside Jesus that he was talking about. And later on, whenever he speaks to them, he talks about Jesus being the judge of all people. And he says, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So you see, what Paul was saying is, the resurrection means you can't dismiss Jesus. He's not just someone that some people believe in. He's not just a comfort for some people, a crutch for some people. He is the judge of everyone. He's the one to whom everybody is accountable. Whether they're in church today or not, everyone will stand before him. And the proof of this is that God has raised him from the dead, that the tomb is, is empty. And, and that's where we should go whenever we find some things in the Bible hard to, to take in. I was talking to somebody recently about the miracles, and they were struggling to understand how some of these things could happen, and how could Jesus walk on water and feed a multitude from a handful of loaves and fishes and so on. And those are all very real questions. We know that those things just don't happen in our experience. But the key question is, well, do we believe the tomb is empty? 
Because if the resurrection happened, then Jesus is unquestionably the Son of God. He has come into our world, and of course He can walk on water. Of course He can feed a multitude. He is the one whose hands flung in, uh, stars into space, as the song says. It's absolutely reasonable for Him to do these things if we believe in the resurrection. I remember once doing a, a seminar for some students in Dublin and, uh, on why we can trust the Bible. It was part of a, a sort of a conference, a training day. And there was a very well-known, enabled Bible teacher as the main speaker, and we ended up, he and I, chatting to a group of, of students about the Bible. And, and he said, so, Nigel, you tell these students, why, why, can, we, why can we trust the Bible? And, and I waffled my way through an answer, and uh, he looked a little bit disappointed, and he sort of took over at that point. And, and he said, well, well, yes, that's fine. But ultimately, he said, uh, because Jesus believed the Bible, and he's the one whom God raised from the dead. And I wish that he was taking my seminar at that point. But, but you could see what he was saying. Jesus is risen, and then therefore we can trust him. We can believe him, and we can believe what he believed. So the resurrection is absolutely key to Christianity. So we've, we've got our, our, our young people here, and, and they're going to be discussing this afterwards. And what we're really thinking about is why do we believe Christianity is true? Why is it worth following Jesus? It's really, really important. We'll, we'll highlight a few things as we're going on. Well, what we're going to do after this very long introduction, I admit, is to turn to this passage, to Luke's account of the empty tomb, and we're going to see three classical pieces of evidence that Luke, that Luke gives us to know that, that it's, it's good for us, it's wise for us, it's reasonable for us to trust in Jesus. If you've got a few days off over the next wee while, you might find yourself watching a wee bit more TV than usual. You might find yourself sitting down to take in Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile or, or Murder on the Orient Express, and you'll know that, that what happens there is that that great detective, Hercule Poirot, uh, I think, uh, 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 gathers everybody into the room at the end and surveys the evidence and comes to this conclusion. So that's sort of what we're doing as we look at Luke 24. And if you're confident in your faith this morning, I hope that this will deepen your confidence and cause you to praise the Lord. If you're doubting your faith, I hope it will massively reassure you. And if you're skeptical, it's great that you're here if you're skeptical or listening. And if you're wondering, could this be true? I hope that with the power of the Spirit at work, this will persuade you and challenge you. So first of all, first piece of evidence, here it is, the empty tomb. <clears throat> Here's how 24 starts. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It's almost too simple, isn't it, to point out that the tomb was empty, but this is a major, major piece of evidence in the resurrection of Jesus. Women go to the tomb early on the Sunday morning, and the reason they're going is to finish the job of preparing Jesus' body. He died on the Friday, late in the Friday afternoon, and uh, he had to be buried, and then everything had to sort of stop before the Sabbath, and the Sabbath started at tea time, at, at, at uh, sunset on the Friday evening. And so it wasn't really possible uh, to do anything from Friday evening to Saturday evening when the Sabbath finished, 
and then it wasn't really possible to do anything in the darkness of the night. And so they arrive at the tomb at first light to finish what they already started, to finish preparing the body for burial. They've got their spices with them to do that, those things folded into the grave clothes uh, to sort of embalm the body. And they find that the stone over the entrance to the tomb is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And as somebody pointed out to me a moment ago, the stone rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let them in. Now, think about the implication of this. In a short period, the disciples are convinced that Jesus is alive and that the message of the resurrection takes root. Where does it take root? It takes root in this city, in this city. It doesn't take root somewhere else, away from this location, it begins here. And the authorities very quickly want to quash this movement. You remember at the beginning of Acts, they arrest the disciples. They say, you've got to stop telling people about Jesus and stop telling them that uh, that Jesus is alive and so on. And eventually they persecute the church terribly. They're trying to do everything they can to nip it in the bud. But there is one thing that they could do that would end it entirely that would completely stop the progress of Christianity. One thing that would make the growth of Christianity impossible, and that is they could produce a body. But they don't do that because they can't do that. Did they realize that that's all they needed to do? Of course they did, because they they knew that an empty tomb would be a danger to them, so much so that they posted guards at the tomb to make sure that the disciples didn't steal Jesus' body. We'll say more about that in a moment. Jesus' enemies, it seems, had actually taken better notice of his predictions that that he would rise again than his disciples had. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us that they paid the guards to say that the, the disciples had stolen the body. Now, This is the lengths that they would go to in order to explain away the empty tomb. And that says to us, this tomb was empty. And it does away with some of the suggestions that we sometimes hear that the woman in the early uh, morning in the darkness, they went to the wrong tomb, even though Matthew tells us they'd been there uh, seeing where Jesus was buried 36 hours beforehand. But even if they had, the disciples wouldn't have made that mistake. The authorities wouldn't have made that mistake. Uh, Nor is there any weight in the suggestion that Jesus' body was stolen by grave robbers. Don't forget, the tomb was guarded. Uh, If that was the case, what would they have been after? Not the body, but the the costly spices that would have been folded into the grave clothes. Uh, And and yet, they hadn't done that yet. They were bringing those with them, uh, and they thing that is left in the grave, verse 12, is the very grave clothes, the strips of linen. The body wouldn't have had value, and yet it's the thing that has gone. So we've got to, produce, we've got to conclude, like Hercule Poirot, that the tomb was empty and that no body could be produced. And if you're skeptical today, you've got to wrestle with that. You've got to think, how do we explain the, the empty tomb apart from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, maybe you say, if that's how you're thinking, maybe you say, it was, it was the disciples, as, as the authorities suggested. It was the disciples. They were the ones that took the body. After all, that was what the guards were there to guard against. Well, that brings us to our, our second piece of evidence. 
And that's the transformation of the disciples, the transformed disciples. The disciples changed. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts recently, you'll know, and uh, when you read that book, you cannot help but be impressed with the courage of these uh, disciples. They, they face down angry mobs, they, they, are, they are beaten and stoned, and then they just go back into the city to do it all over again. You realize that they're highly motivated, incredibly committed, and yet that's not what they're like in these gospel resurrection accounts. You notice that the there's no expectation that there's going to be a resurrection. The, the women don't expect that. They're, they're coming with their, their kit to finish a burial. That's what they're doing. And, and they're brokenhearted and they're dejected. They're not wondering. They're not expecting it. You notice what the angel says to him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, he is risen. Remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And you see the tone of what the angels are saying there. What are you doing here? Why have you come here looking for a body? Don't you remember what he said to you? There's a, there's a gentle element of rebuke in that, isn't there? And, and then it says in verse 8, then they remembered his words. In other words, oh yes, he did. Of, of course, we've been so foolish. We, we didn't see it. How could we have missed that? There's a conviction. There's, there's rebuke and conviction there. And the men, well, they're, they're no better. The, the women returned to them, and they're not convinced at all. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. One writer says, the apostles were, were not a men poised on the brink of belief, needing only the shadow of an excuse before launching forth into the proclamation of a resurrection. Even Peter, Peter who at least runs to the tomb, he sees all the evidence, empty tomb, the strips of linen, and it says he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He, he's, he's not a convinced super disciple, not at this stage. These do not look like people who are about to turn the world upside down. And not only that, they're not the sort of people who have just stolen a body in order to build a platform for their mission. They, they don't have a mission. All they have is a mess. They're a mess. In fact, if we were to, to read on, we see the next story in Luke's gospel, is two of his disciples, two of the, the, the followers of Jesus, slipping away to go home to Emmaus. As far as they're concerned, it's all over. It's done. And of course, as often been pointed out, when they do begin to preach about Jesus and the resurrection, it's at great cost to themselves. Most of them die in this mission. And there's absolutely no way that they would give their lives for this if they knew that all they were doing was based on a lie. So, so there's the second piece of evidence, the transformed lives of the disciples. Here they're a mess, but when they are convinced of the resurrection, they're on mission. And the only thing that explains that is that Jesus is alive. So two clues for our budding detectives. Empty tomb, transformed disciples. Okay, last clue. The skeptic might say, well, that's a convincing story, 
But how do I know that it's not just made up? You know, like if you're a fisherman, you catch a six-inch trout, and by the time you've told your friends two or three times, you know, it could have swallowed Jonah without any trouble. Third thing, then, is the woman. How, how do we know that this story isn't made up? Well, you notice that the Gospels tell us that the first witness of the resurrection were women. All the Gospels tell us that. And that's really, really important because the problem was that at the time, women were considered unreliable witnesses. If you were taking a case to court and it was pinned on a woman's testimony, it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't go. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Now, I don't know why that is. In my experience, women are much, much better at remembering things than men are. You know, men, you know, this is a moment that strikes fear into a man's heart. Your, your wife says to you, sitting on the sofa, and she says, darling, do you remember what we were doing a year ago today? And you, you look at her and you think, really? You I remember we got married in 94. I think there were some children came along after that. I, I can't remember anything else. It's all a blur. But the fact is, apart from that, 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 that women were, were not believed to be reliable witnesses. There's a hint of that in verse 11, but they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You know, you can just imagine the sorts of things those men said. You just got yourselves worked up. It's that sort of thing. But you know what this means? It was inconvenient for the spread of the gospel that the first witnesses were women. The only way that this is in the Gospels, is if this is what happened. We, we actually know this from history. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin has a brilliant little book uh, uh, on the resurrection, and, and she quotes this. She says, the second century Greek philosopher Celsus exemplified this prejudice, for it's a prejudice, of course. He laughed at the idea that a weeping woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first witness of the resurrection. He said, after death, Jesus rose again and showed the marks of his punishment and how his hands had been pierced. But who saw this? An hysterical female, as you say, and perhaps some other of those who were deluded in the same sorcery. You see, the, the fact that the women were the first witnesses of the resurrection was a, a weakness in the Christian case. And so that means there's absolutely no way that this story, and therefore the other stories, were made up because it would have served them better to tell a different story. So, three evidences for the resurrection from this passage. The empty tomb, the transformed disciples, and the fact that the women were the witnesses. And as the story goes on, the evidence grows that the disciples are convinced because Jesus appears to them. And so many of those that they preach to are then convinced. And so many who hear the gospel message are convinced. And so many who read these accounts for themselves are convinced. Are you convinced? J.C. Ryle, old bishop of Liverpool, he said this, let us cling firmly to the resurrection of Christ as one of the pillars of the gospel. It ought to produce in our minds a settled conviction of the truth of Christianity. Our faith does not merely depend on a set of texts and doctrines. It is founded on a mighty historical fact that the skeptic has never been able to overthrow. Are you convinced? 
If you're convinced today, let your heart be filled with praise. Are you doubting? Well, then let his word convince you. He, he, he really is alive, and so he, he really is true. His, his work, as we were hearing down at the, the lake this morning, his work really is, is finished. We, we really can be, if we're Christians, we really are right with God. How amazing. Are you skeptical? It's great that you're here. But, but why are you here? Are you here because you would love it to be true? Because at some level you want it to be true. Maybe at some level you know it, it is true. Do you know that he's not here to mess up your life? Jesus didn't do all of this to mess up your life. He came to, to rescue you because you need him, because you were made for him. So come to him and trust him and know him.